A few years ago, uh, a buddy of mine, a pastor, a Presbyterian pastor said, hey, there's a friend of mine I want you to meet. And uh, his name is Ron Dotzler. So uh, we kind of got it all set up and, and we had lunch together, the three of us, and I met Ron Dotzler and uh, thought, you know, by the end of that time, I'm going, whoa, I have never heard anybody with a vision like that for their city. And, and then as I learned about how, how they're doing it, that, you know, all of these churches are partnering together with this organization called Abide, and they're, they're adopting or sponsoring and ministering to uh, loving uh, people in these, all these different blocks, these neighborhoods in North Omaha, and, uh, ha- and then having all of these celebrations and other things that, that are going along with it and how the, how the crime has dropped in those, uh, those neighborhoods that have been adopted and how they have the support of the police department and, and the government and businesses. And I'm going, whoa, this is, this is bigger than anything I dreamed of. And so I began to see that this was the biggest thing that God is doing in North Omaha. And I thought, what if Faith Westwood is called to be a part of that? So we began to explore that. And we, uh, I don't think it's Max this time. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, Anyway, uh, and so we started sending volunteers down to serve and see, do we want to be a partner church where we're really invested, committed into this? And uh, we learned about it. We had people come and talk to our church council and others. And so anyway, uh, earlier this year, we said, we're going to do it. We're going to be a part of it. And we now have been assigned to, um, actually, it's a neighborhood, but it's two blocks, both sides of the street. And I was a part just a couple weeks ago of going down door to door on one of those with uh, the people from our lighthouse uh, that live in that neighborhood and, and uh, just meeting the neighbors. We brought them, you know, cookies and, and you know, met them. I'm sorry. Okay. Hey, uh, can I switch over to here? Yeah. That might be me. Okay. All right. Um, anyway, I, uh, and, and it, was, it was just a wonderful time of meeting the neighbors, and, and ble- we, we prayed for them, and, and uh, what, a, what a blessing. And I can see God is already at work there, and we just have to come alongside what God's already doing, you know? Okay. I want to bring Ron up here now, and uh, Ron is here with his, with his wife, Twani, and... Uh, <clears throat> I understand you've been married for the same number of years that Trish and I have been married. Oh, so congratulations. congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, I'd like to pray. Uh, dear God, I thank you so much that I got to meet Ron. And uh, the blessing that he has been to me, how he has opened my eyes to things that I wouldn't have seen. And uh, sometimes it's easy for me to just get stuck where I am and not see the bigger picture or not see the hope that you are building already. Mm. And so, Lord, I ask that you will, by the presence of your Holy Spirit, anoint us today. Uh, Let uh, your message, your word, sink deeply into our hearts and minds and let it be uh, lived out in our lives. Mm. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. you You don't need this. You're good. Okay, good. Good morning, everyone. Good-looking group, ready to roll, ready to take on this city. 
Whenever it, uh, I get together with groups like this, I think of Psalm 122, where King David said this, I was glad, everybody say glad. glad. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. In our 21st century language, it would be something like this. I was so excited. I was so thrilled. I was so happy when they said to me, let's go to church. Amen. Sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? Some people in the real world would say, wait a second. But those of us that gather, we know the power of our gathering. This is a time for us to sharpen each other, encourage each other, build into each other's lives, right? Because we're called to get out of the seats and into the streets to change our world. How many are ready for that? Now, if you would have said to me 30 years ago, Ron, I want you to change the world, I would have thought, you are crazy. I would have had no idea what you meant by that. I mean, people like Billy Graham, maybe. People like Pastor Steve Todd, maybe. But I actually thought maybe the government should do that changing, right? I mean, if our city's in bad shape, who should change the city? The government. But our scripture passage read this morning said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you. He's anointed you to preach the good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. God's call to change the world rests with you and I. Rests with you and I. You and I are called to be world changers. How many are ready for that? Again, 30 years ago, you bring that up to me, I would have had no concept of what you were talking about. We came to Omaha. I was a chemical engineer, and that's what brought us to Omaha. How many are familiar with a big company where King of Kings Lutheran Church is at today? It was Control Data, Zydex, Seagate. Okay, good. I worked there, and then they finally fired me. <laughs> I actually went in and asked that they would fire me. They were going through layoffs, and they wouldn't lay me off. And I said, I want to leave. I feel like God's called me to something. And they had no understanding what that meant. We actually thought we'd be missionaries overseas somewhere. And so my wife and I got to the place where we finally sold everything. We lived here in the Millard area. So I would drive by this church all the time, wondering who you weird people were. <laughs> so we sold everything. And uh, uh, we lived by the Millard Airport. And we had houses and cars that we had accumulated. I tell people I was living in Velveetaville. You say, Velveetaville? Why would you say that? because I was being processed by my culture. The more money I made, the more houses and cars, and the more my portfolio got bigger and bigger. I was pursuing the American dream, not realizing that God had a dream for my life. And so we eventually sold everything. We we're looking forward to be missionaries overseas, and um, uh, no mission organization would accept us. <laughs> we had five little children at the time, five, four, three, three, two. And so someone came to us and said, I've got a house in North Omaha you could live in for free until you go overseas. My wife and I looked at each other and said, there is no way. Two months later, we were living in that house. And I've written a book called Out of the Seats in the Streets, and I tell the story of our very first house, Roaches and Rats, and uh, there are many other stories. But needless to say, if God wants to use us to change the world, who do you think he has to start changing first? Us. In fact, go ahead and bump your neighbor. Say, are you ready for change? Go ahead, bump your neighbor. Say, are you ready for change? <laughs> if God is going to use us to change our world, he starts by changing us. Isn't that amazing? Now, I told you we had five little children. This is my wife here. 
20. Can you kind of wave, honey? Everybody give her a nice round of applause. So I grew up in rural Iowa, population 300 people. We all looked alike, and I think we were mostly related. I went to Missouri, and there I met this beautiful young African-American woman who grew up in Washington, D.C. area, population 5 million people, grew up in an all-African-American community. She, too, went to Missouri. She saw me, fell madly in love. And yes, we've been married for 36 years, and we have 14 children. In fact, I think I have a picture. There's a picture. We have 14 children, and in fact, in a couple weeks, we'll have our 14th grandchild. So this is the year of 1414 for us. Our oldest is 34. She's a missionary in Thailand, and our youngest is in fourth grade. And I want you to know, parenting is hard work. How many would agree with that? Yep. I can prove it. I once had hair. <laughs> now, some of you, I can tell you haven't been parenting long enough. You need more kids. You have way too much hair. So 14 kids. And so imagine we had five at the time. And God in his sovereign plan, that house became the only house because we were going to be here just for a short time and people wouldn't rent us the house, especially knowing we had five kids. So we didn't have a place to live, so we moved into that house in North Omaha. Again, God wants to use us to get out of the seats and into the streets to change our world, right? The scripture passage we looked at today is Isaiah talking about the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us, right? Called us to preach the good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, and to do what? Repair the ruined cities. Not the government's call, not just Billy Graham, not Pastor Steve Todd, but you and I as Christ followers. So, so God has this dream of using every one of us. So here we go back almost 28 years, October 1st to be 28 years, that we actually left Millard and moved into North Omaha. And there, if God was going to use Ron and Twani Dotzler, he would have to do what? Change us first. Changed people change people. And I've come to realize that it's us that God really wants to change. So imagine, we moved into that first neighborhood. We, we move in, and obviously the roach and rat infested house. But next door to us, major drug dealers. Literally, they would wake up at noon or after and they would party through the evening. Many a night, our family with the little children, we would be praying that God would give us rest. And by God's grace, he would. Many people would say, you need to call the police. We just didn't feel like that was the approach that God would call us to. Directly across the street, I saw the police visit that house more in one week than I'd seen in my entire life. And it wasn't because they were friends. Directly across the street, I remember my wife had abandoned me to some women's retreat, so I'm all alone with five little children cleaning out kind of an abandoned garage in front of our house. And there I am cleaning this house out, and all of a sudden, my oldest daughter, who's five, Keisha, comes running into the house. Daddy, Daddy, the neighbors have guns. So I go out and I grab the kids and I look across the street, and there are the neighborhood boys stuffing guns under the seat of their car for their evening festivities. Directly next to them, the first time I saw this household, someone came running out of the house screaming with a machete and someone chasing them with a pitchfork. Welcome to the neighborhood. What would you do? Well, for me, I tell people that if I could have bought more locks, I would have. I had no intention of staying in this community. I didn't want to be in this community. That is not where you move, right? You don't move to North Omaha. You're crazy. You get out. 
In fact, one of the first sayings I heard in the community was this. Work hard, get an education, and you too can get out of the ghetto. Now, believe me, I was looking for the first flight out. But how many of us know Christianity is counterintuitive, isn't it? It's kind of crazy. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you should be the least. If you want to be first, you should be... If you really want to live, you should... That's craziness. Christianity is so counterintuitive. And so here's the first thing God was showing me when I was moving into this community. My wife, all of a sudden, I began to realize the value, the power, the strength of Christianity. You see, if you were to ask me what Christianity was before I moved in that community, I had a kind of a definition like it's about being nice and being good. If you were a nice person and you were good, you were probably a Christian. And if you went to church like I did, right? I mean, I've been through church. I've been baptized, catechized, sanitized. I mean, you name it. And so my version of Christianity is about being nice and good, right? So I move in this community and it's all of a sudden like, whoa, what am I going to do to make a difference in these people's lives? And believe me, I could tell you stories for weeks. But at the heart of it, I began to recognize what God was doing in me. He was wanting, me to, ch he was wanting to change me. You see, here's what I discovered about Christianity. Jesus didn't come to take bad little boys and girls and make them good. Jesus came to take dead people and bring them to life. And when you and I come to life, something profound happens to us, right? You see, when, when our relationship with God gets personal, everything starts to change. When life with God gets personal, everything starts to change. And believe me, as I'm thinking about this community and all that's going on, I remember bringing up a missionary from Mexico one time, and I said, Pastor Vic, tell me, what do you think of us Christians here in the United States? He said, Ron, you Christians in the United States, you have no need for God, for you think you can do it all on your own. And so here am I in this community realizing I cannot... I cannot do anything. I begin to recognize where people's lives are, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, there's, there's really nothing. What am I going to do to impact their lives? But you and I know that when a relationship with God gets personal, we start to change inside of us. And, I, and this, my wife and I encountered this in college. In my particular case, I told you I grew up in church, and if, I were to tell, if you would ask me, are you a Christian, I would have said yes, because God was important to me. I, you really could tell where my Christianity was when you got to college because I stopped going to church. I stopped reading the Bible. I stopped talking about God. and I just was doing life Ron Dolzler's way, right? And so the faith that I was really carrying was not mine. It was my parents. And so here I am at college. And I'm the president of my fraternity. And I'm involved in all kinds of partying. And I'm a basketball player. And I've got all these things going. You know, a lot of, a lot of things that were important in my life. Basketball, girlfriend college, you know, all these different things were important in my life. But I remember waking up and saying to myself, man, there's got to be more to life than this. Wake up another morning with a hangover and say, man, there's got to be more to life than this. And by God's grace, I had a lot of things happening during that time. But some people came around me and began to talk to me about what it meant to have a personal relationship with Jesus. 
that God couldn't be just important in my life. He had to be central to my life, that I would actually come to a place where I'd invite Jesus into my heart, I'd make him central, and I'd build my life around him. I want you to know that was a radical shift for me. And so I invited Jesus into my heart, and so here I am in this community of North Omaha, and I'm looking all around me, and I'm recognizing what a personal relation, when things get personal, all of a sudden you start getting involved in a way that you didn't before. And in my case, I started thinking, wow, this is counterintuitive. What should I do? Should I call the police? What? And God began to do a work in us that really changed us. In fact, show that picture up there of um, the murder map. My wife and I, in these 28 years, we've been plotting every murder that has occurred in our city. And this is what this map looks like. If you saw it, it's, we have a board at our home approaching 1,000 murders in the 28 years. And it's one thing to live outside of that community and to point at that community and say, oh, if they just got a job or they just stopped doing this. And To be honest, as a Christian who went to church, I was hard, I was calloused, I was judgmental. I had no clue what was really going on. And so now God placed us in this community. And so imagine, I had invited Jesus into my heart, but now because of all this brokenness going on around me, Jesus was inviting me into his heart so that I would start to feel broken over the very things that breaks his heart. I had never experienced that before. In fact, the Bible says that there are two places in, in the scripture where Jesus cried. One, his good friend Lazarus died and he raised him from the dead. But the second thing he says in Luke 19.41, as he entered Jerusalem, as he approached Jerusalem, as he overlooked Jerusalem, the Bible says he wept. And can I be honest with you? I had never wept over my city. I had never cried. I had no sorrow over the brokenness going on in my city. And so it's one thing for me to invite Jesus into my heart and to have a personal relationship with Jesus that was powerful. I was grateful for it. But I didn't realize that's, that's not where Christianity start, stops. That's where it starts. But Jesus wants to invite us into his heart. And in so doing, we start feeling broken over the brokenness. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of hard-headed. And so sometimes God has to use a two-by-four. And so for me to get next to the needs and next to the brokenness, God used that to break my heart. I tell people oftentimes, if I ever move to North Omaha to transform the brokenness of North Omaha, what a joke. Because here's what really happened. The brokenness of North Omaha transformed me. Changed people. Changed people. And so if you can imagine, we're looking at this murder map, and all of a sudden God gives my wife and I a vision that one day, People from all over the world would fly into Omaha, Nebraska. Because in Omaha, Nebraska, there's no inner city. There's no high crime and violence. There's no high poverty. There's no high sexually transmitted disease rates. There's no high dropout rates. I mean, every statistic you can imagine, which, to be honest with you, Omaha ranks at the top in our nation in several statistics. This is our city. This is our calling. Isaiah said it. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon us. He's anointed us to preach the good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to re be repairs of the ruined city. That's our calling. 
not the government, not the nonprofit sector, but the church. I don't know if you see this, but in Scripture, there's only one thing that Jesus is building. He said, I will build my church. And so I started all these nonprofits, and I'd get people's resources, and we'd have an after-school program, and, you know, if one program was good, two would be better, right? So then I'd start a drug rehab program, and if two was good, three would be better, and so I started the prison program, and if three was good, I ended up starting 27 nonprofits in North Omaha. But guess what? Once they got out of the program, once they aged out of the program, Guess where I found them? On the streets, in prison, in caskets. And God broke my heart again. I remember standing before two little child-sized caskets. These are our little neighbor girls. They had been murdered. We came home late one night. It's a whole story. But I remember standing at that funeral in these two little child-sized caskets. And God's speaking to me as I look down the row of my children and my wife and family. And God's saying to me, Ron, would you give your life so that other children's lives will not be cut short by violence? And I said, yes. You see, that's what happens when, when we allow Jesus to invite us into his heart. Our hearts start to break. We start to have a passion and a sense of purpose like we never had before. And so when God gave us that vision that one day people from all over the world would fly into Omaha, Nebraska because there would be no inner city, then people say, are you kidding me, Ron? How's that going to happen? One neighborhood at a time. We discovered that whole love your neighbor thing that Jesus said, he actually meant something by it. And so we started in our neighborhood, which the police would tell you was the most violent neighborhood in the whole city. And to show you how violent it was, I literally would dial 911 60 to 70 times just in the summer. I had never dialed 911 before moving to North Omaha. I remember the very first time I heard a gunshot and dialed 911. And then all of a sudden, now I'm dialing 911 60 to 70 times. So here we are. We get into the neighborhood and we just start loving our neighbor. In fact, I don't know if there's that picture up there of the three different areas that we do, the whole uh, housing and community. Yeah, that one right there. So when we get into a neighborhood, we just started, you know the whole prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. I stopped right in the middle of our prayer and I said, I looked at our team and I said, wait a second, what does heaven look like in a neighborhood? And someone said, well, I think it looks cleaner. And I said, well, great, let's go ahead and start mowing lawns and picking up trash. And we started to do that. And then we found abandoned houses. Now, that didn't take much looking because there are 3,000-plus abandoned houses that need to be condemned and torn down all over our neighborhood. In fact, there's actually another 10,000 that are abandoned. So we said, what if we were to buy that house and fix it up? And so I, we got a bunch of people from other churches together, and we went in, and we just started gutting the house and putting Someone came and said, hey, I'll do all the electrical free. Someone said, I'll do all the plumbing free. Another said, I'll do all the heating and air free. And before you know it, all these people with gifts and talents started coming around, and we refurbished an entire house for like $20,000. And so today, a typical house costs about $100,000 to refurbish in our community. We can actually refurbish an entire house for $50,000. I'm happy to say we're up to house number 25. 
where we've totally gutted it, totally fixed it up. And then we put this family in, and they become a lighthouse in that neighborhood. And so when Pastor Steve and the team came down, we are, you're already in a neighborhood that the whole house has been gutted, put back together, and there's a lighthouse. There's a couple in that house. And we raise up people, and we started with that one neighborhood, just cleaning it up and doing the housing. The second thing we did was we recognized in our community, people were not getting to know each other. They were afraid of each other. Talk about the kind of Christianity that I had. I had a fear-based Christianity. I mean, you don't go to North Omaha, right? And then all of a sudden I began to recognize, wait a second, Christianity is counterintuitive. Light actually runs towards darkness. We shouldn't be running away from it. We should be running towards it. And sure enough, other Christians started getting the same vision. And that's why you are part of 20 partner churches and thousands of Christians who are coming into North Omaha now, not to do a program, but to just love our neighbor and get to know one another. And then, yes, we do feed people into programs. And so this community building, we started with a little block party. Simple little block party where we put on, you know, get a grill out there and we kind of do some hamburgers and hot dogs and invite people to come over and we play some games. Started with 125 people. These last several block parties, almost 3,000 people. It is powerful what God is doing. He's starting to rebuild the morale in the community. But let me tell you a story. Aisha. I think we have a picture of Aisha up here. Here's Aisha, little girl, grew up in the community, was in a very healthy background. By eighth grade, she was raped. We meet her at a block party between her sophomore and junior year. She flunked out all of her freshman and sophomore credits. We meet her. As she tells her story, she comes and she has fun. She's at, doing an egg toss. My wife is leading the egg toss. She throws this egg, and all of a sudden she says, this is the most fun I've had since I was like two or three years old. And then she said, and a church is putting this on? Not about you, but in the old days, not too many people would want to come to my block parties because we'd have free food and music, and then I'd set up a little pulpit, and I'd stand up there and say, give your life to Jesus. In fact, I did that 27 years ago when I first went in the community. And if we had 300 people show up in the first month, and I got the second month, guess how many people showed up? 200. <laughs> and then the third month, I'd have it again. Guess how many people showed up? 100. And God began to do something different in us where we would just love our neighbor and let him draw all men to himself. In fact, remember that scripture passage in 1 Corinthians 13, 13? Here's Ron Dostler version. Now after everything is said and done, these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is faith. It's got to be faith. I had read that a thousand times, but all of a sudden it just dawned on me. Wait a second. It's got to be faith. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. It's got to be faith. Another passage of Scripture says, What does it profit a man he gains the whole world and loses his soul? It's got to be faith. And God began to show me, Ron, as a Christ follower, when you received me by faith, didn't it give you a hope like you never had before? And isn't that hope now translated into actions of love? So, Ron, love is the ultimate expression of your faith. So it's almost like those three words were just one word, that love was the ultimate expression of my faith. But then he said this. Now, Ron, before you were a Christ follower, wasn't it love that kind of drew you? And you started getting a hope that maybe your life could be different? And as a result, didn't you receive me by faith? I thought, oh my goodness, for a Christ follower goes faith, 
hope, and love. But for a non-Christ follower, it goes love, hope, and faith. And I realized I'm over here in faith trying to reach a broken world, and they couldn't hear me. I just needed to do what? Love them. And so that's what we do. So our block parties now, we play Motown music. We have free food. We play games. And people say, a church is putting this on? I'll have to check it out. But between love and faith is the hope venue. And I want you to know, you as a church are going through this book. I want to encourage every one of you to go through this. This is powerful. My wife and I, Pastor Steve, shared this with us. But that is a game changer. See, we can love people and they could stay there. We don't want them just to stay there. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. We want to help them move towards a personal relationship with Jesus so that then they could have a purposeful relationship and really begin to live. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life in all its richness, in all its abundance. And so we started loving people and they started saying, I want to come to your church. And so we actually, as a church, as a group of leaders, said we're willing to give up our Sunday morning faith venue and turn it into a hope venue so that unbelievers can come in and we talk about our faith in a loving way. And it is powerful. And so imagine, it'll be eight years at the end of October, we started this church with 12 of us. This last Easter, seven Easter's later, 1,000 people. God is changing lives, just like Aisha. And he's changing communities. And he's using you and I. We are better together. In fact, let's say that together. We are better together. God is beginning to use us. It's no longer a program-driven approach. We're not just providing services. We're actually building the kingdom of God culture in these neighborhoods. And so we started getting in and cleaning up, then doing the grill-outs, but then we have family support programming. So in your church, whether you come in and work on a house, whether you come in and help us clean up a neighborhood, or whether you come in and start being a part of block parties, or this third part, the family support, maybe God is calling you to come in and start tutoring children. Maybe coaching basketball. We have, I mean, we had 50 coaches last year. We have 160 kids. And our goal is to have one-on-one -on -one kind of impact. And so we're looking for basketball coaches. But of our 50 basketball coaches last year, I want you to know half of them didn't know anything about basketball. And you don't have to know anything about basketball. So just like we've heard years and years ago, God is not looking for our great giftedness and our great capacity. He's looking for a willing heart. I tell people all the time, I was not God's first choice to be in North Omaha to lead a ministry. I think I was like 29th or 30th. But when I said yes, he said, you're my number one choice. And I want you to know, you are God's number one choice. It's a matter of saying yes. It's a matter of getting in the game and stepping into a community and letting God begin to do a work in your heart. As we land today, I want to encourage you. If you've never experienced a personal relationship with Jesus, where you moved him from being important to being central, I would pray that maybe today God would help you take the next step. Pastor Steve and many of the leaders of this church would love to talk with you. Invite Jesus into your heart. 
But in this place, I'm going to guess that many of us did that already. I remember the first time I did it, it changed and rocked my world. But maybe many of us who've invited Jesus into our heart have not really got to a place where we've allowed Jesus to invite us into his heart. And we haven't experienced the brokenness. When you see that murder map, it breaks the heart of God. Every time you hear violence on television, we should be praying. It should be breaking our heart. You see, light runs towards darkness. And as you and I begin to let Jesus radically change us, I'm telling you, he will use us to radically change our city. We started with one neighborhood. We are now in 106 neighborhoods. The whole, there are 700 targeted neighborhoods in that red area. This picture shows all the neighborhoods that were adopted. The police will tell us right now that in all the neighborhoods that we're in, crime and violence is down 75%. I know in my neighborhood, crime and violence is down like 100%. I told you I used to dial 911 60 to 70 times. I cannot even remember the last time I dialed 911. God has changed our community. He's changing lives. He's changing neighborhoods because Christians like you and I, are getting out of the seats and into the streets. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this beautiful church. Thank you, Lord, for the hearts within this church. And Lord, we're praying that, yes, we'd have a personal relationship, but Lord, that you would invite us into your heart and we'd experience a purposeful relationship like never before. And Lord, we'd be so ignited with a passion to make a difference that, Lord, what would happen in the neighborhoods where we live, in the neighborhood of North Omaha. And Lord, wherever there are people, there are neighbors, Lord. And you would use us, Lord, to see life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.